And now, another episode of Radio Yesterday, brought to you by ChuckChat.com. Three days later, a jumbo jet lifted off from Gotham International Airport. Flight 67 to San Francisco was right on time. Bruce Wayne had been one of the last aboard, sliding into seat 2G undisturbed. He always took a window seat in first class. It minimized the interaction with other passengers, especially on long flights. Bruce Wayne caught a cab at the airport. The cab took him to the Cheshire Hotel. Inside his suite, Bruce Wayne unpacked with great care, assembling various items on a long tray of white ceramic. He used a handheld scanner to sweep the interior for eavesdropping devices, then checked the windows for potential access from outside. It was 40 minutes before Bruce Wayne picked up the tray and walked into the bathroom. In another 40 minutes, another man walked out. The other man was older than Bruce Wayne, heavier too. His hair was slicked back from his forehead, revealing a jagged scar on his right temple. His brown eyes were set in a round, almost oriental face. The man replaced the tray inside his alligator suitcase and twirled the combination lock tumblers after he snapped it shut. Then he picked up the receiver and punched a number into the keypad. Safe house, a voice answered. Could I speak to Deadly Dave? The man asked. Who should I say is calling? Big Jack Hollister, the man in the hotel said. In less than a minute, a man's voice came on the line. This is Dave, he said. Big Jack Hollister, I understand you're expecting my call. I might be. Who gave you that understanding? Victor C. Good enough. What can I do for you? I need some of your time, that's all. Do you know the Lavender Dragon? I can find it. Anytime after ten tonight, just ask for me at the bar. The man who called himself Big Jack Hollister flagged down a cab. When it pulled to the curb... He climbed into the back seat. Do you know where the Lavender Dragon is? He asked the driver. Yeah, sure, but look, I mean, it ain't none of my business, but that joint is only for... You're right, Big Jack said in a flinty voice. It ain't none of your business. The man who called himself Big Jack entered the club. He carefully worked his way through a maze of mostly male bodies, not responding to offers to buy him a drink. When he reached his destination, he waited calmly until a man wearing a bright yellow T-shirt and a leather apron leaned on the bar and asked, Will it be? Deadly Dave. He's expecting me. Name's Big Jack. Well, I can see that, the bartender said. He winked at Big Jack. Last booth on the right. Big Jack walked over to the booth. It was occupied by one man, a man with delicate features and hard eyes. He stood as Big Jack approached. The two men shook hands wordlessly. In response to a wave of Dave's hand, the other man sat down. Tell me what you need. Matching the other man's let's-get-down-to-it tone, Big Jack asked, You know about a man named Draco? He lives on a yacht in the Dragonfire Marina over on... Yeah, I know him, Dave replied, his voice thick with contempt. I know his name and I know his game. Is it true he sets up kitty sex tours to Udon Kai? Sure, it's true. Why do you think he named his yacht the Lollipop? He's not only sleaze, he's proud of it. Do you know a man named William X. Malady? Yeah, I never heard of him. 
You know anybody who has actually gone on one of those sex tours? I know of such people. Meaning? Dave leaned forward. Meaning that people who have sex with children are degenerate scum, okay? Meaning that there's nothing homosexual about men having sex with boys. Meaning that those filthy pedophiles are always trying to throw in with us. Always trying to make it an issue of sexual liberation instead of what it really is. Which is a crime, Dave said flatly. A despicable crime. If you know Victor C., you know how we feel about it. I need to go over there, the man who called himself Big Jack said quietly. What can you tell me about the operation? How they screen real carefully, Dave replied. If you get past that, whatever you can pay for, you get. How much? Depends on what you want. If all you want is to buy a ticket to pedophile paradise, you can do it for around ten grand, everything included. What's everything? Well, not what you think, Dave answered. It just means a round-trip ticket and four nights at a hotel. Anything extra, you have to find for yourself. Or? Or you can have it all brought to you. That's twenty-five and up, depending on what you want to do. With a child? Yes, with a child. What do you think we're talking about here, Club Med? Sorry, I didn't mean to offend. It just seems so impossible to me. Well, that's their camouflage, Dave replied. And it works pretty good. So all it takes is money. And connections. And connections, right. Then I could go on one of those tours? <laughs> I don't think so, Dave said quietly. They have one final requirement, uh, the acid test, they call it. What's that? You have to uh, have sex with a child. They supply the child and uh, they videotape it. That way they know you're the real thing and that you won't talk if anything goes wrong. The man who called himself Big Jack closed his eyes as though to banish the hideous images. Dave took a deep drink from his glass of water. Anything else I can tell you? Why do they call you Deadly Dave? I used to box when I was a kid. Strictly amateur, but I was pretty good at it. Why did you stop? The real fights aren't in some prize ring, Dave said. And the real fighters aren't there either. At 4.13 a.m., a phone number was punched into the keypad of the phone in Bruce Wayne's San Francisco hotel room. But it wasn't Bruce Wayne making the call. It wasn't Big Jack Hollister, either. The plans are changed, the Batman spoke into the receiver. The tour route is off. I have to go in alone. Would you pull Udon Kai up on the mainframe so that I can get some questions answered? Certainly, sir, Alfred answered. I have the information on the screen. Awaiting questions. Do you have a step reference map available? Searching. Yes. Can you beam it over on frequency four? Stand by. The Batman eyed the data port, watching as the diagrammatic representation scrolled past, too fast to read. The plain paper laser printer was spooling as well. When it finally stopped, the Batman quickly pulled the paper strips, tore them where indicated, and fastened them to the corkboard which backed the inside of the suitcase. He studied the maps for a long minute, sipping from a glass of water as he did so. The map showed a triangular-shaped area at the intersection of Myanmar, Laos, and Thailand. 
Its topography was generally mountainous, with a number of plateaus. The Mekong River flowed through the small country, with numerous tributaries clearly shown on the map. The Batman referenced the scale at the bottom of the map, quickly calculating in his head that the country was roughly 10,000 square miles, with the average elevation being 6,000 feet above sea level. What is the current form of government? A military dictatorship, Alfred said dryly. The third such regime in succession. Population? Very sparse, sir. A total of perhaps 400,000 people, 450 at the most. This works out to a density of 41 per square mile. That is an average, of course. It varies from a low of 11 in the highlands to a high of 6,500 in the capital. Which is? Maine now, located within a short drive from the airport. Population is approximately 250,000. What else? As you can see from the map, it is landlocked. There are access roads all across three borders, but no information on such roads can be considered secure. Because? Guerrilla activity. The area is almost permanently unstable. The safest entry point is General Paul San Roe Airport. This is an ultramodern facility which can accommodate aircraft of any size, up to and including the SST and long-range fighter bombers. How does the country maintain itself? Not very well, sir. Per capita income is less than $150 per year. They import almost everything. What do they grow there? Udon Kai has significant crops of coffee, tobacco, and rice with lesser amounts of cotton. There are tin deposits and some jade as well. And, of course, poppies. For opium? Yes, sir. Next to tourism, opium is the country's biggest cash producer. When the tourism file is opened, the computer says... I know what it says about that, the Batman said softly. Very well, sir. Will there be anything else? Yes. What can you tell me about the government? In conventional Western terms, there isn't much to speak of. The current dictator is one General Lin Fa Num. There is a large standing army of almost 20,000. All their wars are either internal or near their borders, mostly with drug lords. There had been a tacit agreement between the government and various warlords to share in the opium profits, but once this became commonly known, foreign aid was drastically cut. Politically, there is complete press censorship. One television channel, one radio transmitter, one newspaper. The rebels occasionally broadcast on an outlaw radio band, but that is sporadic. Who are the rebels? The official party line is that there are no rebels. All the attacks are attributed to communist forces from one of the surrounding countries. With the breakup of the Soviet Empire, this explanation is not especially plausible. The best information indicates that the rebels are made up of young people who fled uh, the cities for the mountains. And even that information cannot be considered reliable. Currency? The official unit is the Klong. Exchange rate is 627 Klong per U.S. dollar at close of business yesterday. The currency is highly unstable, and trafficking in foreign currencies is a crime punishable by death. They have the death penalty for currency trading? The Batman asked, a note of incredulousness in his voice. They have the death penalty for 87 separate offenses, Alfred said quietly. It is quite a popular governmental response in Udon Kai. What is their language? Udon, the same as the country's name, is the dominant language for diplomatic purposes. French is taught in schools, but only the middle class can afford to send its children. 
And since English is the common commercial language and almost all members of the middle class are merchants in one form or another, the French isn't used except to impress others. Udon Kai claims a literacy rate of 22%. Unbiased estimates place it much lower. Virtually none of the mountain tribes can read or write. Do we own anything nearby? The closest we have is Sydney, Australia, sir. From there, it is a relatively short hop into Udon Kai. I can arrange for use of a private airstrip not far from me now. Is that where the tourists... Yes, Alfred said, his voice flat. Will there be anything else, sir? I need someone who speaks the language, the Batman said. They must speak fluently enough to do simultaneous translation, and they must be familiar with idiomatic speech. Very well, sir. Contact me when you get to Sydney. I should have it all in place by then. Thank you, old friend. Good hunting, sir, Alfred said, a blood-thickened edge to his usually dry voice. Bruce Wayne boarded an international flight non-stop to Sydney, his Australian visa in his pocket. In the privacy of his seat, Bruce Wayne closed his eyes. But it was the Batman who slept. And it was the Batman who placed the Trans-Pacific call from Bruce Wayne's suite on the top floor of the Barrier Reef Hotel in Sydney. Anything new? he asked. Draco's yacht left port thirteen days ago, Alfred said. According to our sources, he is headed for Udon Kai. You have an ETA? Not a precise one, but he should be relatively close even as we speak. You have clearance to land at General Paul Sanro Airport tomorrow evening, any time between 2100 hours and midnight their time. Once you are airborne, signal me and I will transmit the landing coordinates. No flight plan need be filed. Thank you, my friend. Anything else? Yes, sir. Your translator is in place. His name is Rama Bing. He will meet your plane and stay with you until your work is completed. Will that day ever come? The crime fighter asked the spirits. The answer did not comfort him. Big Jack Hollister piloted the rental car with the ease of a traffic veteran, despite the unfamiliarity of right-hand drive. He followed directions he had picked up in San Francisco, occasionally stopping the car for a visual check of his surroundings and to be certain he wasn't followed. A leisurely 45-minute drive brought him to Bondi Beach, where Big Jack was expected. As he had been instructed to do, Hollister found a suitable spot. He opened the gym bag and spread out a khaki army blanket. Then he reached inside the bag and took out a small red cooler in the shape of a tool kit. Satisfied, Big Jack reclined on his back, eyes closed, his face tilted toward the sun as if to take advantage of a tanning opportunity. His highly trained senses combined to inform him of another's approach, but he remained passive until he heard, Mr. Hollister, I presume. Hollister opened his eyes. He was looking up at a portly man dressed in a white suit with matching Panama hat. The man's skin was the color of old copper. He looked as sleek as a seal. His very presence exuded confidence. Mind if I sit down? he asked. Hollister shifted slightly to make room. The portly man opened the red cooler and extracted a bottle of dark East India ale. Mm, you have excellent taste, sir, he said enthusiastically, removing the bottle cap with a single wrench of his large white teeth. I thought we might have some tastes in common, Hollister said. Uh, uncommon, more likely, don't you think? 
the portly man replied. I guess it depends who you ask. Yes. Well, enough of this silly fencing about, Mr. Hollister. My name is Morad. Now, you know all about me that you need to know. Please, tell me how I can be of service. I am interested in opportunities, in Udon Kai. I have been told you have considerable awareness of conditions there. I was hoping for an introduction, so to speak. My dear fellow, Morad spoke. You are not dealing with that paranoid Draco now? There is no need for all this euphemism? You wish to enjoy the company of children, yes? Would that be a boys or girls? Girls? Ah, so. For new goods, I mean truly new. The price would be, oh, roughly ten thousand dollars? Ten grand American? Just for ten grand Australian? Perhaps I have not made myself clear. I'm talking about a pure virgin, a child no one has ever touched. Perhaps, as an American, you fail to appreciate the significance of such an opportunity. I understand, Hollister said. It just seems a bit steep for only one. You need not restrict yourself to a single event, Morad interrupted again. Although that special moment comes only once, you have the use of the child for twenty-four hours. That is all included in the price, as is an environment suitable to such an accomplishment. And this is legal, right? Perfectly legal? Mr. Hollister, legality is a creature of the moment. As we speak, the age of consent in Udon Kai is twelve. Sex with a child of at least that age is, in fact, perfectly legal. But what if I... You need go no further, Morad said, again cutting Hollister off in mid-sentence. The age of the child is of no consequence to the government in Udon Kai. What is affected is the price, do you understand? So, for the ten grand, you get a child not yet twelve. If you require one much younger, there would be additional cost considerations. It sounds like paradise, Hollister said. It is paradise, Morad replied. Even this conversation is completely legal. Even if you were an undercover agent, he began looking directly into Hollister's eyes. And even if you were to offer me money, and I were to accept it, no crime would have been committed. That's amazing. Amazing but true, Mr. Hollister. Unfortunately, some anti-pedophile fascists are trying to change our local laws. If they are successful, it would actually be a felony just to have a conversation such as we are having today. Conspiracy, they would call it. It is an outrageous assault on civil liberties, and I am confident our liberal friends in government will stop it in its tracks. And even were the repressive elements to succeed here, they would find it much tougher sledding in the United States, I can guarantee you that. Politicians in America can always be counted upon to support our causes. America is, in fact, the country with the best understanding of our hobby. There is such hypocrisy in the world. Are we not the true child advocates? After all, what good is the child's right to say no to sex without the equal right to say yes? Morad mopped his brow with a large black silk handkerchief. But enough of this doom and gloom, my friend. Uh, we must live in the moment, and for the precious moment you contemplate, shall we say, ten thousand? 
Hollister handed over the money. In return, he received an address in Udon Kai. Ask for Bat Po, Morad told him, and give him this card. Hollister took the piece of white pasteboard he was handed, the same size as an ordinary business card. It had a large drawing of a black widow spider on one side, the trademark red-orange hourglass shining on the black sheen of the insect's underbelly. On the other side, Morad had hand-inscribed a series of pictographic characters. This is all you need, he said. Why a black widow? Hollister asked. Why not? Morad replied. But in fact, Mr. Hollister, that is our chop the signature of our organization. It is recognized throughout Udon Kai. If you are there long enough, you will see it many times, in many places. No thanks unnecessary, Mr. Hollister. I am happy to have been of service. The next night found a tiny jet cruising at 45,000 feet, well above any commercial aircraft. At the controls, the Batman checked the coordinates Alfred had beamed to him. He pulled the microphone close to his mouth, then used his right hand to tap in the codes to access the Batcave. Yes, sir? Alfred answered. I'm on time, the Batman said, and on target. And if I'm reading these coordinates properly together with the airport schematic, it appears as though I won't be landing on the runway at all. Is that your understanding as well? No, sir, it is not. Where you will be landing is an uncharted section of the airport, but it has plenty of runway. When you approach, signal code 33 to the tower. They will not acknowledge, but a twin row of landing lights will appear to guide you down. And from there? Rama Bing will be waiting, sir, and he will have appropriate transport. It sounds as if the airport has done this before. All the time, Alfred answered. It is their assumption that you intend some illicit activity. Perhaps that is why their special permit landing fee was a quarter of a million dollars. U.S. Why are transferred to an account in the Cayman Islands? This Rama Bing, are you absolutely certain of his credentials? His credentials are impeccable, sir, Alfred replied. He was thoroughly vetted by our people. In fact, he is wanted by General Num's government. A reward has been posted. Approximate value in U.S. currency is $2,000. A veritable fortune in that country. What is he wanted for? Treason. The Batman didn't bother to ask if that crime carried the death penalty. Signing off, he said, tilting the nose of the baby jet down to begin the long descent. As soon as the little jet touched down, it began to merge with the shadows at the end of the outlaw runway, its black and gray mottled paint blending perfectly. A slender young man with close-cropped black hair and unreadable eyes emerged from the surrounding underbrush and began to walk slowly toward the jet. There was a faint hiss as the side door opened. A large, powerfully built man climbed down the stairs, carrying a bulky suitcase in his left hand. He marked the approach of the slender young man and walked deliberately toward him at a steady pace. When the two met, the young man extended his hand. Rama Bing, at your service. Big Jack Hollister, the other man responded. Pleased to meet you, pal. I regret that the accommodations will be sparse, Rama Bing said to Big Jack as he steered the innocuous sedan gently around a long curve in one of the secondary roads that ringed the capital city. My employer said you wished privacy above all else, yes? Yes, that's right, Big Jack said. Don't worry about me. Once I get my bearings, I'll be out of your hair. 
Will you not be requiring me for... There's another man involved, Big Jack said. He's the one you really have to translate for, okay? I understand. But first, I want to kind of get the lay of the land, all right? Yes. Once we are situated, I am at your disposal. Two nights later, Big Jack Hollister emerged from a nightclub. As he paused on the sidewalk, the tawdry neon washed his profile, accentuating a haggard face. It was the fifth club he had visited that night, the fifth club where little girls, still years away from becoming teenagers, were paraded about on the bar as though they were another offering of food or drink. Choking down a mouthful of bile, Big Jack started a slow trek toward another address he'd been given. His eyes rimmed with a red haze that had nothing to do with neon. The storefront was glass, with the word photographs hand-painted in rough script. In the back of the store, Big Jack looked through an album of color pictures. All the photos were of children, boys and girls. None were clothed. Several were engaged in sex acts, with adults, with each other, with animals. The proprietor pointed to each photograph in turn, quoting prices and services in passable English. The man for whom self-control was the hallmark of his life struggled internally with a secret voice, a voice he was hearing for the first time, a voice urging him to violence. Shaking his head as though the movement would rearrange his thoughts, Big Jack Hollister stalked out of the pimp's parlor and back into the street. It's time. Rama Bing returned to the shabby house he had rented on the edge of town, expecting to meet the big American journalist. He entered through the front door and carefully made his way to the back of the house where the American slept. The room was empty. Like most people who search a room, Rama Bing never looked up, so when the Batman dropped softly to the floor behind him, it was as though the Knight Rider had materialized from nowhere. Startled, Rama's hand flashed toward his armpit, but the Batman was too quick. The pistol never left its holster. Don't be afraid, the Batman said, maintaining his grip on the young man's forearm. I have not come to hurt you. I have come to ask your help. Who are... Big Jack Hollister must have told you about me, the Batman said softly. I need a translator. Oh, you are the one. I did not think that's all right. I need to go to the mountains, and I need a guide. The mountains? Yes, far outside. I want to go to the places where people sell their children like cattle. That is, sadly, a very easy request to meet. When would you want to go? Now. Tonight. I need to have a base established before it gets light. But first, there is another place I want to visit. In a narrow alley, across from a twisting street, the Batman and his guide watched a dark doorway, the address of Bat Poe. Are you able to get inside by showing this card? The Batman asked his guide, handing the Black Widow symbol to him. Yes. All the flesh traders know this chop, Rama said quietly. It will be unusual for a native to possess one. They would probably ask many questions, but it will certainly get me in the door. Do it, the Batman said. Rama bowed. When he looked up, he was alone in the alley. Rama Bing crossed the narrow street furtively, his carriage suggesting some nefarious purpose. A quick series of sharp raps on the wooden door and a narrow panel slid back. What is wanted? 
a voice asked in Udon. Rama did not answer. Instead, he handed the Black Widow card through the slot, which immediately closed. A long five minutes passed. The door opened fully. A man dressed in a hooded black gi told Rama to enter, standing aside as he did so. The man in black pointed down a corridor. Rama walked slowly in that direction, feeling the other man close behind. They entered a long, narrow room where a man of uncertain ancestry sat in a chair that looked as if it had once been a throne. The man in the black gi approached, bowed quickly, and handed over the black widow card. I am Bat Po, the man in the chair spoke. Where did you get this card? From a white man. He is staying at the hotel. He told me to fetch the girl and bring her to him. That is not permitted. It is too dangerous. He must come here. Tell him I want the girl, the Batman said, stepping through the door. Before Rama could begin the translation, the man in black moved toward the Batman. Up on his toes in a cat stance, the man in black circled slowly. The Batman stood immobile, as patient as stone. With a sharp cry, the man in black ran forward and leaped into the air, turning at an impossible angle to fire a two-footed strike at the Batman's midsection. The masked man slipped the strike and struck at the exposed inner thigh of his adversary as he flew by. The blow so paralyzed the man in the black key that he could not control his body. His head struck the polished wooden floor with that crackle-crunch sound that always foretells a fractured skull. Tell him. Rama spoke in Udon, listening to the response from Bat Po, then said, He says there are no girls here. You have made a mistake. He is very sorry. Translate simultaneously, the Batman said in a harsh voice. Direct. None of this he said, she said. Understand? Rama bowed, waiting. Give me the girl. I will not ask again, the Batman said. I have no girl here, sir. Rama said, translating the hurried, frightened speech of Bot Po. The Batman strode toward the massive wood desk next to Bot Po's throne. His gloved hand flashed. The desk splintered as though it were balsa instead of teak. Bot Po's scream was instantly silenced as the Batman grasped his throat. Your larynx is next. Bot Po's face turned a sickly greenish color. His legs trembled uncontrollably. He spoke for almost a minute before he stopped, his hands clasped together in a prayerful gesture. Upstairs! The Batman grasped a nerve cluster in Bot Po's throat, and the pimp collapsed, falling face forward onto the remains of the smashed desk. Rama led the way up a narrow staircase, the Batman right behind. The only light was a fat candle at the end of the hall. In the last room, they found the girl. She looked to be eight or nine years old, dressed in a pure white silk shift, her hair combed until it was glossy. Everything about her was bright and shining, except her eyes. They were glazed and vacant. She must have fought hard, Rama said. They had to drug her. Pick her up and follow me, the Batman said. But Poe may have more men downstairs. I hope so. The Batman said, his voice as merciless as a panther's. It seems destined, Rama said to the Batman. They were in Rama's car heading out of the city. You asked to go where the children are sold, and now we are taking one of the children back. I believe it is a sign, but I say to you with all respect, 
You should not return this child to her family. Why not? Because they sold her. They do not admit that, of course. To save face, they always say that the child is going to the city to work and will send money home. The child buyers, they pay cash. And they say the child must work enough to earn that cash. The child cannot go home until this is done. Is it ever done? No. Perhaps you are right. Let us get into the mountains first, then we will decide. As you say, warrior, we will be in the mountains in three hours. The morning sun broke over the mountain range, slanting across the rocky plateau below, the harsh rays emphasizing the barren ground. The Batman's eyes followed the sun, scanning the arid terrain, watching with the natural patience of the hunter. He was standing just inside the entrance to a cave, as invisible within the shadow as the air itself. Warrior, tell me, will the girl recover? The Batman spoke without turning his head, addressing the young man standing just behind him. Yes. In fact, she would have been alert some time ago. I gave her an additional injection to spread out the wake cycle. I did not want her to wake up in fear. Do you still wish to return her to her family? Yes. Warrior, he asked, may I speak? Of course. I know who you are. The Batman did not react, having already considered the possibility that the big Jack Hollister persona would not survive up close scrutiny. Rama continued, I called you warrior because that is the closest translation from our language to English. High in these mountains, deep in a cave, that is where the warrior lives. All know this. He is called a legend by some, a myth by others, but all know the truth, even if they would deny it. I am not... I understand, Rama interrupted. I know you must say that. The legend says the warrior appears in many forms. But when the warrior appears in the form of a man, all will know. On that day it is written, the walls will crumble. What walls? The walls that enslave us. We are alone to the world because of the walls. If the walls crack, people will see inside, and then there will be the chance to fight for our freedom. You sound like a revolutionary, the Batman said. I hope I do. I pray I am. Only a revolution will save the children of Udon Kai. By late afternoon, the little girl was awake and alert. Rama gently fed her sips of a clear broth the Batman had brewed, a special mixture of nutrients designed to quickly convert to energy under conditions of internal stress. Initially frightened, the child finally allowed herself to be soothed. As darkness descended over the mountains, she fell into a blissfully dreamless sleep. The Batman and Rama were on either side of a solar-powered heating element the Batman had assembled from his vast store of survival equipment. Easily recharged in each day's bright sunlight, the heating element produced no light, but it threw off enough BTUs to warm the entire cave. The men were seated in the lotus position, each alone with his thoughts. Finally, the Batman spoke. When you spoke of walls, Walls that enslave your people. There was an air of bitterness in your voice that seemed directed at the outside world. Is that true? Yes, warrior, that is true. It is both terrible and true. Will you explain? 
The children of this country, where are their advocates? Where are all the people outraged around the world? There are many myths which leave evil in their wake, is that not so? It is so. Yes, there is a myth that a powder made from the horn of a rhino is an aphrodisiac. That myth is under a powerful attack. Environmentalists all over the world want to save the rhino, so they make it illegal to traffic in rhino horn. They shoot poachers on sight, and they have a huge media campaign to explain that the rhino horn does not help a man with his potency. This does not stop all of it, but it stops a great deal. Why does that disturb you? the Batman asked. There are other myths. A myth that sex with a little girl will restore sexual prowess. A myth that sex with a little boy is safe because you cannot get AIDS from a child. But those myths are not... Not what, warrior? Not true? What is true is what people believe. Where is the public relations campaign to attack those myths? Where are the laws that protect the children? Why should it be that men of evil can plot to come here and rape our children, and that this is not a crime in their home country? Where are the boycotts, the blockades, the economic sanctions? When will we shoot the poachers of children on sight? How did you come to these beliefs? The Batman asked. Were you a private investigator? Like my mother was, he thought to himself. A private investigator? We have no such word in our language, warrior. The only investigators here are from the army, and all they investigate is the rebels, not those who sell children. You wish to know how I learned this? I will tell you, he said, dropping the volume of his voice even as its intensity increased. I had a little cousin, Rama Bing continued. Lily was her name. She was a beautiful child. I was only a few years older than her, but I felt as though I were her big brother. I always protected her. The young man took a breath. Then he bit sharply into his lower lip, trying to bite back the tears. They took her, warrior. They came to her village in the mountains, and they took her. When we went to visit, Lily's father said she went to the city to live with other relatives, but he'd lied. I looked everywhere. My father forbid my search, but I continued anyway, and I found my little Lily warrior. By the time I found her, she had become one of Les Enfants de Secret. Children of the secret, I don't... The secret is our shame, warrior. The shame of our nation, and the shame of all the other nations which send their men to use our babies. Lily was a toy. She was used, the first time for much money, and after that for less and less money all the time. Finally, she was being used in a filthy little shack, many times a night, over and over. When I finally found her, she did not recognize me. But when we talked, she knew I had come for her. The young man drew another harsh breath, willing himself to finish his plain tale of truth. I had pretended I was a customer, but I knew I would need weapons to rescue Lily. Guns are easy to buy anywhere in Udon Kai, but they are expensive. I knew it would take many years to save the money for a gun, so I did what was necessary. I went into the mountains. The rebels captured me. I told them what I wanted. I traded my soul for two pistols. I found my lily in the same place. I went inside, back to the big room that was separated into cubicles by blankets dropped from the ceiling. I gave one pistol to Lily. We walked softly, but we knew we would be discovered. 
Lily shot the man at the front of the place where they used her. We made it out into the street, but then the soldiers came. I was hit twice. Lily died there, died in the street. But I know her soul was at peace. How did you get away? the Batman asked. I did not get away, warrior. When my wounds healed, I was put into Gajat prison. My own father renounced me. I was found guilty of treason. Yes, in Udon Kai, it is treason to rescue one of Les Enfants de Secret. I was to be executed, but I had to wait. There were so many others ahead of me for the hangman's rope. One night, there was an enormous explosion. The rebels had dynamited the side of the prison to free some of their comrades. Many of us escaped. Many of us did not. The government held mass executions after that. When you say you sold your soul... To the rebels, warrior. I knew nothing of politics then. I agreed to fight on their side until they achieved victory or until I died. But it would not have mattered. Once I understood how my lily was used, I knew I could never rest until she was avenged. I am a rebel, too the young man said, eyes shining through a veneer of tears. Not some outside agitator, not some communist, a rebel against the tyranny that feeds our babies to beasts. The Batman said nothing for a long minute. Then he extended one gloved hand. Rama Bing grasped the offered hand and felt its power, felt the power flow into him. Tomorrow... It begins. At dawn the next day, a villager spotted a strange trio descending from the mountains. First came a slender young man carrying a rifle. Behind him was a little girl dressed all in white. And last was a shadowy figure that resembled nothing so much as a huge bat, a huge bat walking. By the time the trio entered the packed earth circle that served as a village square, every eye was on them. Remember... The Batman said to Rama, simultaneous translation. Yes, warrior, the young man said. He cleared his throat, then commanded the father of the little girl to come forward. A man stumbled toward the trio. His fear was palpable. Rama Bing pointed at the Batman, listened to his whispered words, then spoke them aloud in a clear, powerful voice. Is this your child? To the man standing before them. Yes. You sold this child? Not sold, the man stammered. She would be back when she earned enough money. Do not dare to lie. How much money were you paid? Uh, Three hundred thousand klong. Some of the villagers gasped in disbelief. A sum so large could never be repaid in anyone's lifetime. Do you want your daughter back? A bargain is a bargain, the father said. I cannot return the money, so... What kind of a man would sell his child into slavery? The father kept his head bowed, not answering. The Batman's eyes swept around the circle of villagers, challenging each in turn. Finally, another man stepped forward. May I speak? he asked. Yes. I am the leader here. I know this place well. I was born here. I will die here. This man he said, indicating the father who still stood with his head bowed, had nine children. Nine. How could they be fed? The ground is as hard as General Num's heart. 
The poppy does not grow well in this part of the country. Only a few goats can live at the same time on the foraging we have available. He knows it is wrong to sell a child. His heart is heavy with pain. But I ask you, warrior, with all respect, if you were this poor father, what would you do? The Batman stood silent, feeling the words more than hearing them. The villagers fell silent as well, waiting for the answer to a question as old as evil itself. The Batman flashed back to the alley where his parents were murdered, to his life since that night, to the dedication of that life to fighting crime. He faced the villagers, speaking in a slow, deliberate voice as Rama translated. I would not feed my children with the blood of one of their sisters or brothers. If I were to stand where you have stood, I would steal. A hush fell over the village. Then the leader spoke up. Warrior, out here there is nothing to steal. There is no money here. What would you have us do then? Those who buy your children have money, the Batman said, and you know where to find them. By nightfall, the trio was deep into the mountains. The little girl had fallen asleep, her arms wrapped around the Batman's neck. He cradled the child easily with one hand, walking cat-footed over the broken terrain. After another hour, Rama Bing halted. We are close now, warrior. I cannot know how my people will react when I speak to them. It would be a tragedy if they were to attack you, for I know you cannot be defeated. It is better that you follow me in the sky. If they agree to help, you will know. If not, you must return to the city. I will try and get back there as soon as possible. Thank you, the Batman said. It is my honor, the young man replied. The Batman handed the sleeping child to Rama Bing. Then he turned with a swirl of his cape and melted into the night. Rama Bing gently roused the little girl. Wake up, little sister, he said. We have to walk now, not too far, all right? Rama Bing gently picked up the child, held her for a moment, then put her on her feet. The little girl looked up at Rama Bing, her dark eyes as deep and luminescent as a mountain pool. She bowed slightly, then held out her hand. Rama Bing accepted the child's hand as he would a sacred trust. Together, they started to walk. <laughs>